You're listening to Beyond the Ribbon, a podcast of the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center. This podcast is brought to you by Kia of Amarillo, proud member of the Auto Inc. family of dealerships. Be sure to check out their website at kiaofamarillo.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Ryan, we're here for another great episode of the podcast, right? You better believe it. Yeah, you know, oftentimes whenever people get um, devastating news, such as you've got cancer, um, you know, health issues, a lot of times anxiety and depression comes up. You know, I feel, I don't know that I would agree that a lot of times, Pam, I would say probably most of the time. Uh, Holy, you know, I, I just cannot imagine hearing those words and not um, suffering with a little bit of anxiety and probably a little bit of depression as well. And I, I just feel for, for the, for our survivors so much. Absolutely. You know, whenever they tell us that they're going for a scan or going to the doctor, it almost gives me anxiety just for them. Yes. But hopefully we'll learn how to work through the anxiety of depression and depression that comes with the diagnosis today. Absolutely. You know, uh, we have said on countless occasions, we want to uh, address the hard questions and the hard issues. And I think um, just telling someone to don't be anxious about that or, you know, turn the turn the page and feel better. That those are treatment, right? Those are not fair uh, things to say. And so we're going to try our best with the help of our guest. Um, to go through some of these things and talk about how uh, they our, our survivors can better manage those anxiety and depression symptoms. So let's just jump right to it, Pam. I, I'm super excited to have um, our guest today on the podcast, um, all the way from El Paso, uh, Claudia Ornelas. She's a licensed professional counselor there, and um, she's also the clinical director of Family Service of El Paso. Claudia, thank you for joining us. Uh, hi, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Pam, for having me. I appreciate this invitation, and I'm looking forward to this talk about anxiety and depression. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, as we are talking, um, I just kind of think back to times where I've been anxious and times that I've, you know, been down and and or someone said, you know, down in the dumps or depressed about something. And I know that my situations have to pale in comparison to um, those that are facing um, a cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment. Um, so we're glad that you're here to, to join us. I know that um, probably there at, at uh, the Family Service of El Paso, you guys uh, work with cancer survivors. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, the Family Service of El Paso, and then let's just jump right in and talk about those two ugly things, uh, anxiety and depression. Of course, yes. So Family Service of El Paso is a community counseling agency. And so we provide counseling to people from different ages, starting at four years of age and from a wide range of, you know, with the wide range of symptoms, presenting symptoms. And of course, the most common symptoms that we treat is anxiety and depression. They may be related to different conditions, which is another thing that I think we'll discuss a little bit more also that anxiety and depression are symptoms of different conditions and they can be diagnosed by themselves. 
And so that's the most common type of, uh, or those are the most common type of symptoms that we treat at Family Service of El Paso. We do work with cancer survivors. And a lot of the times we also work with their, their families, which is another topic or another part of our discussion probably later on as well. So is we start with the survivor, and then as we start implementing a treatment plan, we realize how the actual diagnosis is impacting the whole family. And so we work with them as providers in the community. We also go on the community, and I myself provide sometimes talks in the community, and, I, and that's how I got to you, because we provided right. a talk, two talks actually, for two of the support groups that they provide here locally for, for cancer survivors. and. So that I'm, I'm really got, glad, you know, that that's how we got connected. Yes. You know, Thank goodness uh, for Google. Well, and, <laughs> yes. And, and, uh, you're right. You, you spoke for a, a foundation there in El Paso and um, uh, we follow along some of the, the same path, yes. you know, with, with yes. our, our two foundations. So let's talk for a second. I, I want to highlight something you've already said, because I think it's very important is Anxiety and depression are symptoms. Can you can you talk about that? Because sometimes people say, "Oh, I was diagnosed with anxiety," or "I was diagnosed with depression." Uh, but really, um, we're going to talk about them as symptoms, right? Yes, yes. Because I think if we were to discuss them as diagnosis, and we're going to be focusing on specific clusters of symptoms, and it wouldn't be fair, you know, when we're trying to help people with anxiety and depression, you know, that as symptoms of different conditions. And in this case, you know, when we think about anxiety, it can be a symptom of PTSD, it can be a symptom of something that we call generalized anxiety disorder, which a lot of the times can be associated with, with a diagnosis, a medical diagnosis like cancer, or it can be an adjustment disorder, you know, which if we think of severity, then we can think of adjustment disorders as less severe than generalized anxiety disorder, but nevertheless, the symptoms can be severe, even though it's an adjustment disorder. And so depression is exactly the same. At many, many times we see uh, someone going through an adjustment disorder, but having these moderate symptoms or sometimes severe symptoms of depression. And adjustment is, that's what it means, adjusting to a diagnosis, adjusting to a major life change, a divorce, sometimes facing a diagnosis like cancer in combination with other situations that people have going on in their lives. So for our survivors, um, they may be listening and they're thinking, well, how do I know if I have anxiety? What or depression? How how can they go about getting a diagnosis? What they can, uh, they, the way that they can notice is if it is something that is happening not constantly in their lives, but it's coming and going, and it is also producing some dysfunction. I think when we think about uh, mental health or any kind of problems, even if it is, like I said, an adjustment disorder, we can think of something that is affecting our lives daily on how we go about doing what we want to do. For example, you know, like if someone has the, this cancer diagnosis now and that person is still working, but then the person notices distraction at work because of the thoughts of the diagnosis, what am I going to do? Am I going to be able to continue working? 
or sadness in the morning's depression can be thinking of why do I want to get up? I now have this diagnosis and sometimes you're associating this diagnosis with like fatal outcomes right away. And so that's that those are signs of anxiety and depression. And so that's probably a good time to go and start talking to a professional to process that that's that are related to the diagnosis, the cancer diagnosis. You know, you mentioned, uh, Claudia, about um, adjustment disorder. Yes. I think that's an interesting way to put, as you said, a cancer diagnosis or something that you're changing to. I, mm-hmm. I know when you talk with, with our survivors here, there's countless adjustments that have to be made. It's not just adjusting to having cancer, yeah. right? It's adjusting to um, yeah. feelings. It's adjusting to treatment. It's adjusting to side effects. It's just, I mean, on and on and on and on. Yes. And so I, I, I and I'm kind of naive a little bit maybe to have not heard of adjustment you know, disorder being kind of the ultimate, I guess, if you will, label or the mm-hmm. ultimate, if you will, uh, diagnosis. But I can't even begin to probably count, Pam, and maybe you can help me count how many adjustments a cancer survivor might typically have to make. Probably too many to count. <laughs> I mean, I so it, I, I say that to say, you know, duh, it's no wonder that um, they go through moments of anxiety and depression. And, and to hear you talk about this, it's, it, would you say it's very, um, it's very fluid, it comes and it goes and comes in waves, or it can also come and stay, right? I mean, in terms of depression and anxiety. Yes, that's an excellent question because adjustment disorders, I think originally that that was that they were very temporary, you know, lasting two months, three months, six months. And now we know that they can last a long time because of what you're exactly describing. Sometimes we adjust to maybe the initial change that we had to make and then something else comes up. And there we go again. We had to adjust again to this new change. And that's exactly what cancer survivors go through. Initially, it's a track of the diagnosis, figuring out what's going to happen next. And as things develop, you know, they start treatment, it's adjusting to the fatigue, adjusting to sometimes not being able to work anymore. So it is, it is fluid, it changes. But if you see, you know, it is this, it's, it's an adjustment process. And so it's going through a different, I guess, not necessarily crisis, but, but those ups and downs, as we get better, we adjust to, let's say, the medication, and then we start feeling depressed because we lost something else and we have to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. No, Ryan, oftentimes um, I describe cancer um, diagnosis as like getting on a roller coaster ride and you just start and you go fast as you can. And then you have these ups and downs. And that sounds like what anxiety and depression can do through the diagnosis. You know, before we um, talk about managing these symptoms and maybe kind of diving into that, I think it's, this is a good point uh, in time. And I know uh, both Pam and I know um, Claudia, you would agree. um, This, there's no shame in mental health. There's no shame in anxiety, having anxiety or having depression. Um, my hope is, and I know Pam, you and I've talked about this a lot of times. Um, some of those things that, that we talk about on our podcast and we, we work through, um, it is 
providing validation for what our survivors go through. And so, um, you know, you, it's bad enough that you hear the words, you have cancer, and now you have to go through treatment. Um, but then, oh, by the way, now you're going through an adjustment process and having to adjust your life, your family, your finances, your everything, um, all around this word cancer. And so um, I, I just want to throw that out there. And, and, you know, we've talked about breaking the stigma of counseling and mental health, and we, we've done podcast episodes of that. Um, so this, I feel, just felt like this was a great time, pop, you know, to say, pop in there and say, listen, this, this is probably going to be some validation. And maybe you're going to listen to this. If you, if you've not recognized the fact that you, you are suffering from some anxiety or suffering from some depression, even after you're finished with treatment, right, Pam? Cause I thought what you were about to say a second ago is so we describe cancer as the gift that just keeps on giving sometimes, um, you know, this is yeah. an adjustment process, as Claudia says, rather than just a disorder you're going to be getting over real quick. Absolutely. So Claudia, help help us, and, and, and let's just kind of start walking through some ways of managing uh, anxiety and depression uh, from this adjustment time and adjustment process that our folks are going through. Can I ask a question real quick? Do they sure. usually go hand in hand, anxiety and depression, or are they separate? No, that's an excellent question and it's connected. I'm glad that you brought it up before we go into like managing because they do go hand in hand. We, a lot of the times we see either one or the two maybe starting first. You know, we have the initial symptoms maybe of anxiety, but then once we, once we start evaluating the cognitive process, you know, what, what, what am I thinking when I feel anxious? That's when we start seeing that maybe the underlying problem is depression or vice versa. And so, but yes, it is very common that we see them connected, mm -hmm. very, very common. And so in part of this, I think also Ryan made a, a really great point when, when you mentioned validation. I think that's a, that's a very first step in validating even our own feelings. You know, if we are the ones going through anxiety and depression, acknowledging that. Because sometimes our thoughts go into, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I have, you know, a lot of the times, this is what I hear with patients. I shouldn't be feeling this way because I have all these medical services that other people don't have. I have the support of my family. Why should, why do I feel this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way. And that's invalidating. And so that creates more anxiety and that creates more depression because then we start feeling guilty as if we're not grateful for what we have. And that's not true, you know, that's not the main point. So acknowledging the anxiety, acknowledging the depression so we can validate ourselves. And also as we, if we are working with other people or we are survivors and we are trying to support someone else, doing the same thing for them. Just sometimes even saying, I am sorry that you're feeling so anxious about this upcoming test and not knowing what's gonna happen. That's validating. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I think, um, <laughs> you know, one of the things is the, the word should you brought up, yes. and, you know, Pam, we've talked about that one word countless times too. <laughs> you, I, you know, that, that word gets used a lot and you, it, it, and unfortunately when you use it, right, you put undue pressure on yourself and stress on yourself yes. in a time when you really don't need to be stressed. Reminds me of our little educational program that we had. Then um, don't should yourself, you know. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Don't you should, should on yourself. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we said that correctly. Should. S-H-O-U-L-D. <laughs> yes. I, I am going to be using that as an example from now on. Yes. You see, like when we when when we notice that our thoughts start with, I should be doing this, I need to be doing this, I have to be doing this. What we're doing is taking that sense of control, that sense of choice that we have. Because even after receiving a cancer diagnosis, there's still choice. And so we have to be mindful of that too. I have the choice. I decide what do I want to do. And so it is a process and, and it's validating too. You know, if we say, this is what my doctor is recommending. Do I want to do it? What do, why, why do I want to do it? And it's a cognitive process. We're going through that self-evaluation. Yes. So uh-huh. let's talk about how, how some of our folks can better manage oh. these, these two uh, symptoms. Yes, okay, excellent. So one of the things is, you know, when we think about actual treatments and techniques that they can apply, they can be very based on, it, they are based on evidence treatments, you know, evidence-based treatments, like cognitive behavioral therapy. And this, there are lots of resources on self-help that are, based on cognitive behavioral therapy. And there are even workbooks, you know, that people can obtain and they can go through the exercises. And of course, you know, talking about what we were just mentioning a few minutes ago, depending on how severe the symptoms are, it might be good to talk to a professional uh, person, you know, if they notice that there's uh, dysfunction, like I was saying about that is interfering with their daily, their daily responsibilities. But if, they, if it is something that they say, I already have good coping skills, for example, like uh, exercising, they are eating well, they acknowledge the support of the family members, and that is working for them, they may be able to manage with some self-help you know, guidance. And so in cognitive behavioral therapy, we what we do is addressing the thoughts, those cognitions. And so that's what we were mentioning about validating, being more self-aware, what's going through my mind how am I thinking about this? You know, like thinking about their perception. Cancer diagnosis is a situation, but what do I think about it? You know, I can tell you, you know, that at Family Service of El Paso, we've also worked with people who have, who are HIV positive. And so we've also learned how the, the way that the person acknowledges or perceives a diagnosis is going to let us know how is that person going to cope. So cancer diagnosis is the same. And thinking of what do I think about this? How do I feel about this? And then start from there, you know, start from there if acknowledging. I feel anxious, I'm depressed because I'm thinking this is what is going to happen. What am I going to do with those thoughts? How do I move from here? And so that's a cognitive restructuring. So almost kind of like, trying to get at the very base and the very root of why they're thinking this way and what they're perceiving to be um, the cause, if you will. I I thought it was interesting, Pam. Do you know the the one thing that I bet some people probably thought that Claudia was going to say, this is how you manage the symptoms of anxiety and depression, and she didn't say it? Mm -hmm. Take a pill. (laughs) <laughs> through meditation. <laughs> and I think that's so wonderful that they're, you know, to, to maybe put some minds at ease. Like I take enough medicine, I take enough pills. 
I, I don't want to be on something else. Um, give me some real life things. And we've already started right down that path, real life things. Um, and some of those things, Pam, we have here at the center. That's right. We have some great um, licensed professional counselor and we have support groups um, all for free. Yes. Um, exercise. Um, you know, uh, I, I love to go out for a bike ride and um, many times um, it, it melts away the day's stress or whatever the situation is. Uh, but we have lots of choices for exercise classes, Claudia, here uh, at our center from uh, simple balance class to um, Tai Chi. We even have a chillaxation class with, that can be done seated and or standing, and it's super easy. And I would imagine that just about any form of exercise uh, would help in relieving the symptoms of, of, of being anxious and depressed. Yes, yes, and, and that's an excellent point. You know, when we when we think about this cognitive behavioral therapy, so cognition would be the very, the first step, like like trying to think and be more self-aware of what's going through our mind. But the behavioral part is very important too, and for different reasons. One is that it's going to keep us moving, even if it is for distraction, it helps because it's going to take our mind off of those thoughts about the cancer diagnosis or what is coming. And so behaviorally, one of the best therapies is what you mentioned, exercising. And why? Because with anxiety, with anxiety, we start accumulating all these stress hormones. One of the, the, the quickest ways of releasing those stress hormones is to move, do something. And so exercising, even taking a walk. I know that with, with cancer uh, treatment, it can be very difficult to exercise sometimes because of the fatigue and all these side effects uh, of, the, of the treatment. But doing things like taking a short walk, you know, like sometimes instead of thinking, you know, you see how we go back to our thinking. If we, instead of thinking, I have to exercise for 30 minutes, we can say, oh, I want to exercise for 30 minutes and I feel really tired. So I am going to take a 10 minute walks three times a day, you know, and that's exercising already. And other things that, that can be done is coloring. That's something that I, I a lot of the times recommend, you know, when there's fatigue because of the treatment, coloring, journaling, mm, reading, anything that provides distraction is going to take the mind away from those thoughts that are producing the anxiety and the depression. We have a, a concept that family service that we use that is, is about personal medicine. You know, it comes actually from what uh, something that is called the common run approach by Dr. Pat, Pat Deegan. She's a psychologist in private practice, but personal medicine refers to anything that helps us. That's why it is medicine, but it's personal. You know, sometimes we can recommend reading, but someone doesn't like reading, it's going to produce more stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And so, Pam, I remember, so one time, I remember one time, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to remember, I, I'm thinking, was it Mary Margaret talked about she weeded her garden or we pulled weeds in the yard and that was her stress relief? Yes. One of our podcasts. We all have to, all have to find that right fit for us. Riding my bike, uh, that would cause me more stress. <laughs> 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 but what I hear from you is you have to acknowledge that you have these feelings, figure out what your thoughts are and find an action to help with these thoughts. Yes. 
Yes, and finding an action, you know, like I, I mentioned, it, that action can be something that is going to produce a temporary relief, and that is fine, especially like in this type of situations where a cancer diagnosis and when, when there's no we don't really know what's going to happen. And so there's, it, there, we have to, we tend to have this anticipation that something really bad is going to happen, but we don't know what it is. And so it is fine, you know, normally we don't, we, we don't want to rely on those temporary uh, activities that can help us to release anxiety and, and or stress. But in these cases, it is very, very, very appropriate because it is realistic. We really don't know sometimes what is going to happen. And so we want something that can help us have that little break from mm -hmm. the anxiety or from the thoughts. You know, something that produces distraction. Watching a movie is another great coping skill. You know, if we have a movie that we really like, even if we've watched it a thousand times, but it makes us laugh, it, it lifts our mood, why not? Watch it again. Right. Yeah. So do you cope with depression the same way as you do anxiety? It is similar. It, it can be very similar. The only thing is with anxiety, it is a little bit more complex because of the, the same stress hormones that are running through our body. It may be difficult to do or to practice some of those coping skills when we're going through anxiety. You know, like for example, if someone really enjoys reading and that helps for depression, but with anxiety, then the person is not able to focus or cannot sit still to be able to read, we have to find something else. So they may be different. And that's, that's a really good question, you know, how we were talking about, in a way, personalizing what we need. And so that comes with this self-awareness. What helps me? And I think, even another another reference point at the beginning is thinking of what have I done through my life when I've coped with difficult situations. This, of course, cancer diagnosis might be the most difficult situation that this person is facing, but there are probably other difficult situations in the past. What did I do that helped? And maybe you know those are activities that the person can take again and return to doing and seeing if that they help. But it, you don't want to stuff those feelings down where you don't address them. Yes. Oh, yeah. I cannot imagine just burying it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we're just not going to talk about it. That, yeah. uh, that, that seems to me to probably be very harmful. Mm -hmm. Yes, trying to ignore them, you know, because we, we may say, okay, I, I'm not just, I'm not going to think about it, but then what is going to happen? Those thoughts, just pop into our mind we cannot right. ignore them for long and yeah. actually you know like that's not how our mind works our mind works that if we if we think of i'm not going to think about this that's what is going to be coming to our mind more frequently because we're trying to ignore it that's where <laughs> our attention is <laughs> uh, the the mind is a very strange powerful weird thing isn't it <laughs> yes we have to go to the worst part of our minds when yes. we're in situations. Yes. yes. You talked about eating well, Claudia. Do you mind ex expanding on that a little bit? Because, I mean, I've been guilty, right? You know, you think, oh, man, I got some bad news or whatever the situation is. And you hear people talk about eating their feelings. And, you know, maybe this bag of this entire bag of chips will help me uh, get over this or something, but I, I know that, um, there, there's, there's some science to that though. 
Yes. Well, and then maybe Pam can help us this more about like the biological part of this too. But if we are depressed, if we're feeling anxious, we, we try to look for comfort foods. And a lot of that times it's going to be something that contains a lot of carbs and all of these other things that are not good, you know, for, for our bodies. And so what we can think of is in terms of this immediate relief that I was mentioning. The immediate relief in this case would be, would be, you know, like it's helping with the anxiety. I'm enjoying the what I'm what I'm eating right now, but then thinking about the long-term consequences of that. You know, when uh, in a week or in, even sometimes after finishing that bag of chips, then we start going through the guilt and why did I do that? Why you know, I why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I know it doesn't help it, why did I do it? So it's this part of self-awareness and actually this when we think about eating healthy, then you can think about another technique that is very helpful too in, in terms of managing anxiety uh, it's uh, mindful eating when we think about mindful eating it's part of this uh, grounding ourselves you know when we apply the, the our five senses and putting our food in the plate and seeing uh, like looking at the food smelling it and looking at the colors or we're cooking our meals being being present you know that that's another way of relaxing and even having this conversation with, with ourselves if we are trying to choose remember like when we said about empowering ourselves we have the choice i can eat this that is healthy and then i have this bag of chips on the side when what do i want to eat what kind of consequences how, how do i want my body to cope and so what's best for me? And so that's part of this cognitive restructuring, but it, it can take a lot of energy. And so that's why I was also mentioning when anxiety is high, we, our mind is going to be compromised already. And it is difficult to refocus our attention in something that is healthier. And so if, if something like that is happening, I would say probably instead focus and say, I'm going to take a walk or I'm going to listen to this song. I'm going to do this to get my mind distracted from the bag of chips and then come back and decide what I want to eat. <laughs> so there are different strategies that can be applied. Is there any other ways of managing your anxiety and depression that we haven't discussed? There are probably other ways, you know, but I don't, I don't. It's, it's a grounding, you're using your senses, being mindful. I think that's the only one, you know, that I probably described briefly when I was talking about the mindful eating right now. But that's something that can be applied when we do anything, anything, you know, like being present. There's something that is called five, four, three, two, one technique for grounding. And so we think about the five senses. So thinking about what are five things that I can see right now, looking at our surroundings, you know, because sometimes we're there, our body is there, but our mind is not. And so thinking, what do I, what do I see? So in, in coping with this, for example, if someone goes to treatment, you know, it's, if it's a treatment session, they go to a hospital, to the doctor's clinic, and they are there grounding. What do I see? Feel connected instead of just letting your mind focus on what's going to be the outcome of today's treatment. And then four things that I can feel. So that's very important too, you know, for like in cancer is like thinking of, do I feel comfortable with these clothes? You know, I hear a lot about people feeling really cold and, and so their body temperature is changed now, it's altered. So making sure I, I want to wear something that is comfortable, you know, that, that includes what we feel. And we're most of the time not thinking about that. 
So four things that we can feel through the touch, three things that we can hear. And so this is where it comes when we think about music, when we think about, you know, like how are we like feeding this sense? And then two things that we can smell. So that's another another also technique that people can apply. You know, if if I cannot exercise, but my environment is comfortable, then it's going to be more, it's going to be facilitating my ability to relax. So their sense of smell, or even carrying something. Let's say if if I if someone is going to a treatment facility. They know that the treatment is going to be distressing in one way, maybe carrying something that is that smells good, you know, that is going to help them to relax, something that they can touch. And sometimes people can carry even just a small piece of fabric that is that that produces, you know, that comfortable feeling to them. And then the last is the last one, the number one is for something like that I taste in my mouth. And so, you know, but it's five, four, three, two, one is that's grounding. I think those are the bases for anything, if we're trying to manage anxiety or depression is being present. Right. Those are very simple techniques to do. Yeah. You, simple but hard. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. yeah. So some, days, <laughs> some days I would imagine for survivors, it's incredibly difficult, um, you know, uh, because I know there's triggers, right? Smells trigger certain you know, feelings and things like that from, 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 uh, being in the, in the treatment facilities. Um, the, the one thing that I think I, I really want to, uh, touch on real quick is caregivers. Um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the survivor and the, the, those that have gone through treatment or are going through treatment, but my goodness, I have to also believe, and I know that caregivers struggle with anxiety and depression. And so uh, we would be remiss if we didn't, you know, just at least acknowledge that, you know, if you're a survivor listening to this, you need to also take care of yourself, but you need to also think about your loved one, your, your spouse, you, you know, um, your caregiver, if it's a, if it's a, you know, if you're a family member, a neighbor, whatever it may be. Um, there's many, many issues there. And, and again, Pam, that's why the beautiful thing about the survivorship center here is caregivers are encouraged to attend. Um, there are some classes, um, that we do have to say survivors only due to space, but, um, I would say 95% of them, right, Pam, are bring a caregiver. Yes. You know, if that gets them out and gets them active, that's the most important thing, you know, having your loved one there for comfort. Um, it makes that first time stepping in these doors a little bit easier. It sure does. Yeah. It sure yeah. does. Yes. Claudia, is there, is there, in, there, we've touched on a lot and I really think there's so much in this again, as I've said before, this is probably one of those episodes that you may want to listen to again, make sure you have a notepad next to you to take some notes, especially, um, around the, 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 the five, four, three, two, one model. Is there anything else that you would love to, you know, wisdom to impart to our listeners that maybe might be a little nugget they can take with them? Well, the, this is, a, I think you were talking about the caregivers, talking about family members. I think that's the, the only thing that I would like to add is how, 
for, for, for survivors thinking of how they are going through their own process, but then thinking of how their family members, people that are, that are emotionally attached to them, they are also going through their same process. And they are probably also going through anxiety and depression because they are thinking of what this survivor is going through. So it is affecting them as well. And so thinking of if, if they have needs that, or they, they think of how family members can help them better, feeling empowered to ask for that. You know, for example, in when working with families, I've realized that sometimes the family members don't realize how, how fatigued that person really is. And so for them, it may be difficult to empathize and to think of, oh, maybe I should take initiative and cook this today. And thinking of how cooking this meal for my family member is going to make me feel. And so that can help them with their own anxiety and depression, knowing that they are doing something for the other person. But sometimes it's being able to work with the group you know, and, and for, it, for everyone to be more self-aware. Oh. There's been lots of information that I know that anybody could use um, if you are suffering from anxiety or depression. So if you're listening and you have someone in your life that's going through um, a season of this, uh, make sure that you share this podcast. But that leads us to our last segment. Um, it is our Auto Inc. inspiring moment. We are sponsored by the Auto Inc. family. Do you have an Auto Inc. inspiring moment? Well, one, one of the, I think, uh, always an inspiring moment is when I hear someone saying, you know what happened? I had a, an anxiety episode. It was really bad. I noticed that it was, this triggered me, and this is what I did, and it helped. That's always very inspiring because I think it is a process of learning what works for us individually. And I think in my profession, what we do is helping the person to discover what helps them. We're not saying do this or do that because this is going to help you we're trying to provide some guidance in there but they are going through their own exploration and i think whenever i hear someone saying that or sometimes when there's more something more more serious problem you know sometimes when working with suicidal ideation and 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 then people tell me and, and i reevaluate you know or we monitor suicidal ideation over time and then people tell me that's the last thing in my mind now you know like i'm focused on living my life and doing this i don't know how that happened a year ago or two years ago that's really inspiring <laughs> I, I can only imagine you know, the feeling that you as a practitioner get and, and our our practitioners that we have here, our counselors, um, that when they when they hear from someone that what you help them with, they they get they don't, they're doing it on their own. <laughs> you know, it's they they've taken <laughs> it to heart and it worked and they're and you're like, yeah. I'm not crazy. I, I, I tried <laughs> to tell you that this is helpful. Yes. <laughs> Yes, or sometimes you know when when they come and then and they tell you, this is what I did, and it worked up to some point, but then I noticed that this is now the problem or this is now the barrier, and so that's very very inspiring because now they can themselves identify where the problem is, and we just have to find a way to work through it, and so I think in this case when we're working with cancer survivors and their families, in a way you know they can go through this exploration as well if they communicate, and we 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 started talking about validating validating anxiety, validating depression, it's understandable and, and it's okay. 
how can we work through it? Yes. You know, as you were talking, um, it just reminds me of one of our saying is no one fights alone. And so if you're out there suffering from anxiety and depression, you don't have to do it all by yourself. We have professional help here at the survivorship. And all you need to do is call 806-331-2400 to get in touch with our um, counselors here. Yeah. And I, I would just encourage and second that, Pam, um, you know, you, you learning from, from Claudia today, I feel like um, we really could be, everything we have is really designed um, to help manage your anxiety and depression symptoms. I mean, if you think about it, we're, we're, we're providing all of this stuff. Um, and so use us when you feel, you know, that it's necessary. Maybe it's you get anxious or you're at, uh, you know, around a certain time when you're finished with your treatment, look and see if there's something on our schedule uh, that you can come and be a part, be a part of. That's not going to be too taxing. You know, if, if it's, if you're still a, if, if treatments, it's a rough time on treatment, you know, figure out a time that you can plug in. Um, you know, we, we have Pam, I think we average about 60 to 70 classes per month. There's bound to be one that fits within your schedule. You know, it's our saying, it's a buffet, pick and choose what makes you happy. Find that way to relieve your anxiety and your depression. That's right. That's oh, right. Yeah. Claudia, That's thank, you. thank you for uh, sharing with us today. Um, thank you for, um, gosh, really kind of reminding us about being, I love what, what you said about just being self-aware and being present. And we've talked about that um, in other episodes, but I think that's a really good reminder, even for someone like myself, who's not going through treatment, but to be more self-aware uh, of situations and so forth. So thank you for sharing with us and with our listeners today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being here. And I hope, you know, people can listen to our podcast. <laughs> I invite everyone actually, you know, to listen to some of the older podcasts, like I mentioned before we started recording this, some of the ones that they're the one of PTSD and some other ones were, are really, really good. So if you, if, if some of you are still wondering more about anxiety, I think that that specific podcast on PTSD, the presenter explained more about the biological responses uh, that are related to, to PTSD, which applied also to anxiety, you know, anxiety. And so, yes, thank you so much again. It was a pleasure being here. Claudia, Claudia's given, she's given us a plug, <laughs> Pam. She, I know. Everybody, go back and listen. <laughs> but, but that's a really good point. Those episodes, they're they're out there on Spotify and um, Apple Podcasts. They're there for two years now, Pam. Over two years, we've been doing a podcast. Can you believe that? I can't believe that, you know, we've had some great guests and great information. And, you know, the beauty of about a podcast is you can always go back and listen no yeah. matter when it is. That's right. Well, and actually, if, if you if you allow me, adding something to this about listening to all the information, even if there are some listeners who already listen to us, as I already know that, you know, I listen to it, then it's always good to go back because, you know, especially when we're talking about anxiety and depression, then sometimes we're so overwhelmed that we are listening in, in the moment, but we forget mm -hmm. or we just forget, you know, our, our memory normally decays, you know, we forget information. So it's always a good idea to go back and and listen to some of those if they were helpful at that time there's yeah. 
and I know there's there's so much good information out there, um, you know, in terms of like you were talking about for um, cognitive behavioral therapy, but I know ours is the best. So we encourage you guys to go back. A little humbleness, right, Pam? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so make make sure, you know, your, your homework, of course, as we always leave you guys with homework, um, is really to take this to heart. Um, maybe you're not, um, you know, suffering from the symptoms of anxiety and depression at the moment. Um, but again, I think it's important, too, to be self-aware of what triggers those and being present and and things that you can do. And then of course, share this episode uh, with your cancer friends, your family members and so forth. Because um, as Pam, you said, no one should ever go through treatment alone. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you guys for joining us on this episode. Make sure and join us again for the next episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thanks again for listening to Beyond the Ribbon. We'd like to extend a special thanks to the Auto Inc. family of dealerships as they have supported the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center since 2016. For more information on the Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website at 24survivorship.org.